0: Up next on Inside the SCCA, Flagging 101. My guest on this episode of Inside the SCCA has been flagging for decades. He's the Southeast Administrator for FNC. He's the Flag Chief for Central Carolina Region He's been to 21 runoffs, four is the chief, the only 10 is the assistant chief. He's one of my mentors, a great guy, and a ton of fun to be around, Don Drennan. How are you, sir?
1: Outstanding, and thank you for this opportunity, and thank you for that very kind introduction. It's nice to be here.
0: Well, I, I, I wouldn't say that if I didn't mean it. <laughs> It's good to te- good to hear from you, good to talk to you. It's been a while since we've had a chance to catch up. Uh, I think you and I first met back in the 90s at Road Atlanta, is my guess. And uh, you were, I think at that point in time, just a regular old flagger. I don't think you'd gotten in, into the, the running of the flagging at events just yet. But uh, uh, that was when I was a young... Kind of newbie flagger, and uh, you and a couple of other folks took me under their wing and taught me the ways of the world of flagging, and and uh, started a a many 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 year um, career as a flagger. It got me to the point where I was actually the flag chief of New York region for a couple years, and it wouldn't happen without folks like you teaching me along the way, and I appreciate that. So today. Um, Well, first of all, let's, how did you get started in flagging? Let's start with that.
1: Uh, That's a good question. And, uh, I think the best way to answer it is through my very dear friend, Ray Marsh Mm, back in the, uh, oh gosh, I'm afraid to to actually say this, but it was 1974 and I was in high school and he, he took me to road Atlanta. I grew up in a Southeast dirt track, round track racing tradition. And he said, oh no, 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 you, you need to come to road Atlanta. (laughs) We went to the Can-Am there and I was hooked. I was hooked. Uh, but for years, I was just a fan uh, until 1987 when we went to the runoffs with Ray Marsh again. And I was enticed over the fence by the then flag chief of uh, Atlanta region, Todd Malone. The rest is, as they say, history.
0: Yeah, Ray, a, a, a mountain of a man, uh, but the nicest, biggest heart you'll ever meet. Love that guy. Um, we there's stories I could tell, but I can't tell them on this broadcast. <laughs> and, and I'm and I'm going to tell you that if you do flagging for a long time, you will have lots of stories that you can tell, many of which you may not want to. <laughs> so, um,
1: and actually, you make a, an excellent point that those years of involvement in the activity are not a coincidence. Uh, it speaks to much of the activity that once you get hooked, you just. You just love it and you want to be around
0: those people. And it's yeah. not
1: so much the motorsports. It's the extended racing family that you get to be around.
0: Right. You know, that's a theme we've talked about on the podcast over and over again. You know, we show up for the cars and we stay for the family. Um, and, uh, you know, my flagging family are some of my best friends to this day. So... Um, it's just it's it's a great community of people and and we that's why you're right it's 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 easy <laughs> I, I don't want to tell people if you don't want to get hooked don't come out but but you will get hooked and it's because of the great people so so we're talking about this thing flagging and communications uh I'm going to guess so so the the 101 series and I've said this a couple of times is for um, I, I think it will be great for people who've done it a long time to kind of maybe get some new ideas or a refresher or a brush up, or if you haven't done it in a while, uh, or for the newest of the new uh, to kind of get into, you know, whatever it is you've decided you're interested in. And uh, so, so there may be people that have found this because they've heard about flagging communications, but don't really know what it is. So, so let's go right to the bare bones. What is flagging communications?
1: Flagging and communications consists of four core activities. Um, We staff the corner posts and race control at the circuit, and we do four basic things. We observe the activities on the track. We communicate our observations to race control, either via radio, landline, or sometimes in written form when we're asked to provide a document about what we may have seen. We signal drivers of oncoming conditions with flags. And sometimes we respond to damaged or disabled vehicles uh, to assist drivers or deal with emergency situations. But that's basically it. That's our four core things. Observe, communicate, signal, and respond.
0: So when a first-time person comes out, you know, it's uh, usually because or oftentimes because of a um, a friend who's kind of like I do this or or I've been to the racetrack and I've seen somebody out on a corner. And I'm like, oh, that, that looks interesting. What a lot of people don't understand or don't realize is that at, a, at an SECA event and like what you would see on television with IndyCar or Formula One, in most cases, there's no there's no cameras. So the only way. The people in in control, in race control who are running the event know what's going on on the racetrack is because of the flaggers, right?
1: That is an excellent point. One of your primary responsibilities is to be the eyes of race control and let them know what's going on so that they can make good decisions about keeping the event running safely and on time.
0: And you know that's a that's a skill that we're going to talk about a little bit later to be able to get that communication you know quickly succinctly and sometimes under stress because something big has happened at your corner and uh, to kind of take a deep breath and 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 get to that and be able to get that information out properly so all right so uh, we're, here's how we're going to do this i am the new guy who has allegedly never been to a race before and my buddy, or I saw it on TV and I wanted to be part of this. And I say to myself, how do I get started? So let's say I've never been to a race before and I've, I'm, I'm in, in the Carolinas and I want to go to a race at Carolina Motorsports Park and become a flagger. How do I sign up? Let's get right to the easy, easy stuff off the top.
1: Well, that's the most important part is to find your local circuit find your local SCCA region and find an event to attend. Uh, The best resource for that is scca.com. It's menu driven, there's a web address where you can click through and find that information. Uh, Find uh, your local region, find your local flag chief, uh, drop them an email or even telephone them. Uh, Indicate your interest and that person will be happy to provide you with a racetrack and an event where you can just show up and we'll get you started with the understanding that the event you go to might not be your nearest track, uh, because of the scheduling issue. But in my case, I might try to entice someone to go to, not to CMP, but to, uh, to VIR or mm-hmm. road, Atlanta or Robling road, because that might be closer and an easier bet, Right. Uh, having done that, um, You'd go through the registration process, which is inevitably motorsport reg. A new person who hasn't uh, discovered that web address is is encouraged to do so because that's where almost all the signups take place.
0: And and now it's easier than it's ever been. You know, it used to be you actually had to like find a phone number or 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 a simple, you know. Uh, you know, pick up, but now there's all of those opportunities. Also there's Facebook. Uh, most regions have a Facebook page and uh, you can always reach out in there and say, Hey, I want to, you know, can you connect me with whoever's in charge of C or any of the specialties, by the way. Um, so there's lots and lots of ways, much easier now than it used to be. So uh, that's a huge help. Do I need to be a member to come out for my first weekend, Don?
1: Excellent question. No, you do not. If you are not a member uh, and you would like to try it for a weekend, uh, we will afford you a temporary membership that covers you for the weekend. We need to do that temporary membership for your protection right. so that you're protected by the SCCA liability insurance. So that God forbid something happens to you on your first weekend, uh, we do provide that extra level of uh, medical coverage uh, for you with a temporary membership. That said, I strongly encourage you to join the club. The benefits exceed the, what, 75 bucks 80 a year it costs right. now.
0: And I guess that's one thing we should kind of lay out there as a as is a is a bit of a caveat, um, you know, being a flagger and 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 doing F and C, there is a level of risk involved with this. Um, you are the closest to the action, as we like to say, it's the best seat in the house that doesn't have four wheels. Um, but it also puts you in a situation where you know it does happen unfortunately on very, very, very rare occasions that you can't get hurt doing this. So, you know, and and that's usually avoided by having good training and and by us putting flag stations in good places and all of that kind of stuff. But it's it's very rare, but you know, you do have to be um, understand that there is some risk involved. Also, I would suggest that you have to understand with that risk is is you have to be in a certain level of of i guess physical condition to be able to run away if a car is coming to you or run to a car if it's on fire so um you know being on the corners isn't for everybody but i will say that a short round guy like me has the physical capabilities to do it because i have done it for many years um but you do need to be somewhat mobile uh to be able to get the job done right
1: yeah, absolutely. You do not have to be a triathlete, but you do need to be able to stand on your feet for a fairly long period of time. You're out on a post most of the day. You do get to sit out, sit down between sessions, but you're going to be standing a lot, and that's probably the greatest physical demand you'll face. Right. the uh, The point about the possibility of injury is valid and important to make. Uh, and I, I will not deceive your listeners by suggesting that it never happens. Yeah, it oh, does.
0: It does. But Having
1: said that, most of the injuries I've dealt with over the years, the overwhelming majority of them don't involve any kind of race car. It's trip and fall. Uh, it's, it's things like that. We had a, a, a minor injury at the Miami uh, GP yesterday from a worker who fell and, and, and hit his head. He's fine. He's back at the circuit but we had to do the medical protocol and take him to the ambulance to the hospital. I ambulance. Uh, I, for the first time in 35 years was injured at a, at a hill climb last year, I tripped over a wire. Mm-hmm. That's your most common injury. Right. And that's what you have to be careful of
0: falling out of a flag station. I can't say any, I don't know anybody who's ever done that except for myself. Maybe. Um, I was attacked by fire ants at road Atlanta. Uh, ended up uh, almost on a helicopter heading to the hospital because I had an allergic reaction to fire ants that was not a fun afternoon. But yeah, you're right. 90 99% of flagger injuries have nothing to do with race cars. So, that's that's a very valid point. So, so I guess that brings us to and I guess it's a, a really nice segue here. Um in order to be able to stand on a corner for eight, 10 hours a day and, and much of that day in all different types of weather conditions, um, it, it's really helped to bring the proper stuff with you to the racetrack. Uh, it will make your experience a thousand percent better if, when it's raining, you have rain gear or when it's hot you have sunscreen or when it's cold you have a gloves and a sweatshirt so let's kind of go through the the what to bring your first time because you'll never bring everything you need the first time and your hundredth time you'll bring way more than you need oh no your, your tenth time you'll bring way more than you need and then your hundredth time you'll have paired it down to what you really need so let's see if we can help people out um, first time to the racetrack What do I wear? Let's start with that.
1: Okay. Uh, You'll notice that most flaggers wear some sort of combination of coveralls or white clothing. Uh, Some workers wear orange coveralls. For the first timer, you don't have to invest in anything like that. Neutral colored clothing is fine. Nothing that might resemble one of our flags. In other words, nothing red or yellow or black. Uh, that might uh, be confused for a flag being displayed on the corner post. Uh, Blue jeans are fine. Uh, Neutral colored shirts are fine. I would wear a long sleeve shirt. You can wear short sleeve shirts in the summer. Many people do. I typically go ahead and wear a long sleeve one for various reasons. Um, Comfortable shoes, as you say, you're going to be standing all day. Lots of people wear hiking boots. Some people wear tennis shoes. I've done both and will do both depending on the situation. Sometimes I'll change during the weekend. Um, clothes to suit the temperature of the day with the understanding that weather is a, is a changeable issue. And sometimes you'll start with warm clothing and have to strip down layers through the course of the day. Protect yourself from the sun. Lip balm, uh, a wide brimmed hat or a baseball hat is always a good idea um, skin damage is real. Mm-hmm. So you should protect yourself from that. Uh, if you can get some hearing protection, race cars are allowed. And if you expose yourself to their constant noise over the course of time, you will suffer high frequency hearing loss over the years. Huh? Um, yeah.
0: Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be honest with you, though. When I started, we didn't wear hearing protection. Did you, I, I only did occasionally.
1: Yeah. Um, some some of the mazdas to the rotary cars yep. are just painfully loud and if they're out i would wear it and yeah, i've got tinnitus now as a result mm-hmm. i think so i i always encourage people to wear the hearing protection um
0: yeah it, the rain
1: it, gear okay oh, the rain gear is an excellent idea i'm glad you pointed that out pack it always pack it always bring it if you don't it'll rain and as a lot of first-time people don't know we Typically, run in bad weather conditions. Rain doesn't shut us down. Right. I know I've forgotten something. What have I forgotten?
0: I think you've covered most of it. Um, you know, I keep you know those clear little ponchos that you can get at the the you know outdoor store. Uh, I keep a couple of those in my my track bag just because inevitably somebody on the corner might be new or may have just forgotten their rain gear. So and and it also is good to cover up your stuff if it's raining. Um uh so that's an option. I also keep some foam, you know, earplugs in my track bag for folks who didn't bring stuff. Foam and and those are also cool for for folks who I I keep those in my bag because always I will see some kid on the other side of the fence with their parents who have been at the racetrack for the first time and they're having a miserable experience because of the sound. So I can just walk over and hand parents, "Hey, here's some earplugs for your kid." And um it's always nice to do and they, they cost like 3 bucks for 20 packets or more, whatever. Um the other thing is, what do I use to bring my stuff to the track? Um, I know what I do. What, how, how do you get your stuff back and forth? What do, you, what do you take with you to the corners?
1: I've used a couple of different methods over the years. Uh, a popular option is a five-gallon plastic bucket. Yep. Uh, I know you've seen that option. That's my you, can option. Put most, you can put most of your stuff in there. Uh, And then when you put the lid on, you've got uh, an instant seat that you can use anywhere. The bucket keeps your stuff dry in case it rains. Uh, You can actually buy seat tops for the things, or you can just sit right on the plastic top. That's an excellent option. Uh, The only downside to the bucket, it is a bit cumbersome to schlep around if you have to walk very far to your corner post. Uh, I have also used your basic book bag, a mm-hmm. uh, little backpack mm-hmm. that you can buy uh, at uh, Target or any outdoor store. A lot of people use that option. In fact, I have used both.
0: Right. If you have one of those uh, small collapsible uh, either beach chair or lawn chair, um, not the, like the old school with the, the aluminum or metal frame, but one that um, I guess you could do that if you wanted to, but the ones I like to take to the corner are the ones that, that uh, collapse down into what looks like an, a, a ginormous sausage. Um, they're pretty compact. Um, unless you're really rotund like me, they're not too hard to get in and out of, uh, but they get back and forth, and that will give you a place to sit down during a worker break or between sessions, because uh, anytime you can get, can get off your feet, is you should try to get off your feet, right?
1: That is excellent advice, and I would add to make sure that the portable chair that you select uh will support your your weight uh i have a little more mass than i used to and i actually had to upgrade my my portable chair
0: exactly exactly the last thing i would suggest on is um and and it's it's especially if you have special dietary needs um uh or you like something specific to drink a lot of most uh most regions will provide you water on the corner, and, uh, and sometimes if it's really hot out, they might get you Gatorade, but there's no guarantees with that. Uh, so I always try to bring some sport, some sort of a sport drink, or I don't do sport drinks anymore. I now have the 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 good parts of the sport drink, the electrolytes that I can dump into a bottle of water. It comes in a little tube. It's a, it's a pill. It dissolves in a, uh, a tablet that dissolves in the water that gives you all the electrolytes that you need to replenish as you're sweating it out of your body. That's a great idea. And if you like energy bars, uh, power bars, granola bars, something to nosh on throughout the morning and then throughout the afternoon Uh, I always recommend that and also recommend stuff that you've, take stuff that you've eaten before that you know won't give you gastro problems because once you're on a corner uh, there's usually a way to get to a restroom and they're called, out here they're called blue rooms on the west coast because and funny they're usually green, but uh, they they go to the blue room out east. We call them porta potties or porta johns. Uh, that's usually your option at the corners, most corners. So and I know some people despise going to a porta john, um, but uh, but having something to nosh on that won't mess up your tummy is really good to take with you as well.
1: That's an excellent add on, um, and in addition to the other things, you can throw in your trek bag. A roll of toilet paper or some wet wipes, yep. not a bad idea. You don't know what's going to be inside that porta uh, okay. in, in terms of, of equipment. So a uh, roll of toilet paper is always in my kit bag.
0: So this is a little more advanced, um, and you don't necessarily have to bring this on your first race weekend. But if you're really gung-ho, uh, the three things we haven't talked about, um, and I would say two of them are pretty important. Um, one is a whistle so that you can get the attention of somebody somewhere not close to you. Um, The second one is uh, some sort of gloves. It can be regular, you know, uh, construction work gloves. I like the mechanics gloves. I find those to be really comfortable to wear for a long period of time. Uh, Also, uh, some people like driver's gloves. There's a little bit of fire protection in case you have to put your hands in a car to maybe pull a driver out if a car is on fire, which is rare these days, thank God, because of fuel cells, but on occasion it happens. Uh, And if you're going to make the decision to help in that manner, having some driving gloves is not a bad idea. Um, I've also seen people use garden gloves, lots of different options, but gloves are really important. And the other thing is things you might pick up are either sharp or hot. You know, if there's crash damage and you're going to pick up stuff off the track to clear the track, um, that stuff is always either hot or sharp in my in my experience. So having the gloves is real important there. And then the last thing is, and again it's rare that we need it, but if you have some sort of a pocket knife, or seatbelt cutters is actually a tool—a seatbelt cutter—that can be used in an extreme of need to help get a driver out. Uh, that's another something you might want to consider, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, a lot of people carry a multi-tool. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do because you'll find all kinds of uses for it at a racetrack. Uh, sometimes not at all involved with with motor racing, but <laughs> it, it can come in handy. I've used mine to repair people's cars. Uh, so it's a nice thing to throw in your kit bag uh, just in general. Yep. I used a pair of garden gloves uh, for my entire first year of flagging because they were comfortable.
0: Yep.
1: Uh, not only do they provide the functions that you just outlined, but they help protect your hands in general through the course of the day, uh, especially on a cold day. If it's going to be super cold outside, uh, you might want to grab some of those chemical hand warmers to bring with you.
0: Yep. And then my last little thing I keep in my track bag, uh, my track bucket, is a 90% used up roll of duct tape. Um, I take my duct tape or racers tape, as we like to call it, and when it gets down to that point where it's really light and there's maybe 10 rounds of tape left on the roll and it's nice and light, I throw that in the track bag because you never know when when someone's backpack is going to bust open or you need to tape up a cable, a, a radio cable that helps um, having that in your track bag is a nice little tip to throw out there for you.
1: Uh, that's a good point too. I also throw some zip ties in oh, my yeah. uh, track bag because you'll you'll find a way to use them. You always will.
0: Because MacGyver, right? <laughs> Abs- absolutely. All right. So last thing before we head to break here, is there a place where uh, w- one of our one of our flagger friends put together this most amazing like? Newbie manual, which is actually a manual that would be great for old people too, who've done it a long time. Uh, Is there a place? You know, there are. I, I find there are three types of people out there. There's people who just go without thinking and go do something. There are people who overanalyze everything, and study so much that they never go do it. And then there's sometimes there's people in the middle who like to do some research and like to kind of figure out what they're about to do before they go and jump in headfirst. Um, I'm kind of the middle guy. Um, that's kind of why I'm doing Flagging 101 and all these 101s, because I think there's people out there who want to do that. Is there an online resource for flaggers, like a website, or is, is, there, is there one place that people can go and get some more detailed information?
1: Funny you should ask. Uh, not yet that I'm aware of. There's a couple of individual people who've done things. However, your club has uh, rolled out a learning management system and very soon that LMS is going to include flagging information for both new and advanced peoples to, uh, to uh, advance their skill set or get involved. Uh, We're still working on the early stages of that, but it's going to happen, and hopefully soon. I can't give you a timeline on it yet uh, because it's still in the very early stages of development, but it's going to happen.
0: Wow. Breaking news right here on Inside the SCCA. And I'm pretty clicked into the club, and I didn't even know that was coming. So that's awesome. We're going to have to do a podcast on that when the time comes. Uh, Really cool. All right. So, so Don, hang with me here. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about what, what you're going to find when you roll up to the racetrack on your first day. We'll do that when we come back. I'm Brian Bolansky. He's Don Drennan. And this is Inside the SCCA. I'm Dorsey Schrader. And when I'm on
1: my way to embrace, I'll listen to the SCCA podcast Inside the
0: Short Bus. Would you like to hear inside the SCCA live from the runoffs? We're planning to do nine shows from the runoffs, and eight of them will be live. We'll start each race day with breakfast at the runoffs. During lunch, we'll do our version of a halftime show. Then we'll end the day with runoffs after dark. If you have a racing-related business, this is a great opportunity to reach your customers or congratulate them on getting to the big show. Maybe wish them luck. Drivers, here's your chance to thank your sponsors. Rates are very reasonable. For more info, send an email to Racing Wire Network, all one word, at gmail.com. If you lock in your ads by July 1st, there's a 10% discount. We'll have that email address in the show notes. Welcome back to Inside the SECA, talking flagging 101 with uh one of the most fun guys i've ever spent a corner time on a corner with also one of my mentors he kind of taught me the rules of the road the ropes as they say don drennan uh, so good to have you with us don i I can't thank you enough it's early on on we're recording early on mother's day so that i can stay married um But uh, appreciate you spending some time with us. All right, so we've been through everything that we kind of need to do before we come to the racetrack for our first race weekend. Now let's go to what happens when we get to the racetrack on our first race weekend. So we show up either Friday night before to pre-register, or usually the new person shows up on Saturday morning. Uh, the first thing we do is... Uh, Well, let's go
1: with your scenario of uh, Saturday morning. Let's find out the registration hours and find out what time the flag uh, meeting is going to be held at uh, and where that's going to be. That information should be provided to you in advance. So you will arrive at the racetrack and there will be a registration building inevitably. Uh, Try to get that information in advance so that you don't have to look for it. You'll go up to the window and you will present yourself uh, with some sort of picture ID. If you're an SCCA member, uh, do that. If not, explain to the friendly registrar uh, that you are here to to start flagging uh, and ask if they will help you through that process. They will provide you with whatever kind of credentials that you need and point you the right way to go to find the flag chief and the meeting. Uh, There will be a usually brief, Uh, morning meeting uh, of all the FNC staff uh, where, be warned, you're going to be embarrassed at least at one of mine because you're a new person and I'm definitely going to introduce you to everybody (laughs) uh, so that everyone can meet you. That's just something I do. Um, At that point, the meeting will be broken up and assignments will be made. In an ideal world, uh, you'll be paired with a mentor, uh, uh, someone who's good at training people, knows the ropes, uh, and who will take you under his or her wing and take you out to a corner post where you'll set up and spend the day.
0: Right. So a couple things uh, come to the track. I would I would suggest especially your first time uh, after having breakfast. Um, there's often a place to get breakfast at the racetrack, but depending on timing, you may not, uh, you might not have time. Uh, you might not like what they have. (laughs) Um, and some tracks don't open up for breakfast. That's pretty rare these days. There's usually some sort of a cafe that you can run into and grab something. But I usually try to come at least the first time to a track fed, or at least with whatever I'm going to have for breakfast. Uh, that's a really good thing. And I would also suggest if you're especially, um, You know, ask the person before the person you talk to before you come to the track, just double check whether or not the region provides lunch for you. Um, Most do. I I don't know many that don't. Uh, But just in case, you know, uh, if they don't, you want to make sure you're going to have that with you when you get to the racetrack. Um, So there's that. So, flag meeting, they've given the assignments. Uh, You're going to go to, uh, and hopefully, well, I don't know many regions that would put any new person on a corner by themselves. So find the person who is also, you know, if they say, you know, uh, B- Bob Jones, you're the new person. You're going to go to turn three. And also with turn three is Don Drennan. Find Don Drennan. Find that person. Um, a good flag chief will say, hey, Don, raise your hand so that newbie Bob knows who you are. Walk up to them, introduce yourself, and and basically glom onto them for the next eight hours, right?
1: Yeah, pretty much. You're going to be shadowing that person and they're going to provide you with the basics to get through your first day.
0: All right. All right. So we get to the corner. Uh, Usually you'll either you may drive to the corner. And if you have to do that, follow your buddy to the corner so you know how to get there. Uh, Sometimes there's no way to park at the corner. So you'll be taken there in usually the back of a pickup truck or some other manner. Uh, So you're going to get to your corner. Uh, Your your mentor will kind of show you where to put your stuff and now you've got to learn all of this stuff you're never going to learn it all in the first day by the way so don't worry about it but uh let's go through first the flags that we use on a corner there's some that we use all the time and then there's a couple that we use in really specific situations so let's start with um what are the flags i'm going to use on a regular basis
1: okay good question and understand that because we are who we are and we flag for sanctioning bodies that aren't necessarily us uh, we flag for everyone understand that each sanctioning body has a different set of flagging rules uh, so you're going to have literally different sets sometimes or different flags within the set that you'll use but let's go with the flags that we'll use for your average scca club race The right. first flag is green Green means go Uh, and it is inevitably displayed at start and rarely, sometimes on the posts as well. Uh, Not always, some tracks don't issue green flags for the other corner posts that aren't start. So green means go, it means go racing now. Uh, Second flag that you'll pull out is yellow. Yellow means caution, it's displayed two ways. You can hold it still, That means that something between where the flag is being displayed uh, and the next flag station has gone wrong and that there is a uh, there's a car there usually. uh, And if it's held still, that means that car is not on the racing surface. If you see the yellow flag being waved, that means there is great danger. You must slow down. Ah, uh, there's probably a car on the road between you and the next station, and I'll pause there because you m- might want to add something.
0: Well, I would say it, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be a car. It, it it can be it can be a human, um, it could be um, it could be a very very large piece of debris. That's rare, but that could cause a yellow flag. Um, but typically, you're right. It is a car, and um. Um, and then I will also say that the, the when to use a waving and when to use a, um, uh, a, a standing, we call it a standing yellow. That's what's not waving. Um, the term is a standing yellow, um, slightly varies by where you're racing. Um, most most regions have adopted the waving on the paving standing if it's not rule, but there's still a couple of places that if it's close to the surface of the racetrack, they may still wave the yellow flag. Um, it just depends on on you know is it in an impact zone? That's the, the, the terminology here all the time. Um, I like the idea that if it's not on the racetrack, it should not be waving, um, but not everybody plays by that rule. True, true, true to form. So um, otherwise, I think I think we got the yellow covered pretty well. How about the blue? Uh, one, qu- one, oh, one quick ahead.
1: thing I want to add about yellows before we go on to blue? Yeah. Uh, sometimes you will wave a yellow flag for what we call boots on the ground. Some emergency vehicle crews uh, at circuits insist that if they're on the scene and out of their vehicle, no matter where they're at, right. uh, you display a waving yellow flag to cover that scenario. And of course, we honor that request. Sure. Uh, sure blue flags
0: well actually before we get to blue how about two yellows uh two yellows good i can't believe we forgot that two uh, (laughs) yellows
1: is a full course yellow displayed on the uh pace lap and any subsequent pace laps sometimes there are more than one uh and if something really bad happens and we have to get the safety car deployed during the session uh everybody holds out two yellow flags which are held still Uh, to indicate that we're under full course yellow. And I would also add that the corner with the incident flags the incident. They'll probably be waving. Yeah, that's a good question.
0: Right, right. All right, blue flag. Now, this is the one that causes the most consternation in my experience um, between when when it should be displayed and how the drivers react to it. Um, What is the blue flag? Overtaking flag, passing flag. Uh, It is the hardest
1: one to use. I can tell you the criteria that I apply in the way I was trained, and I I think it's the best way to to approach it. Uh, I use it to indicate to someone that a much faster car is approaching you and is going to overtake you. Um, If two cars are racing for position, I don't show a blue flag. They're racing for position. Even though somebody might be getting ready to make a move, I usually reserve it for lap traffic scenarios. Right. Now, it's easy to do during a race, but during a practice, a quali session, a little harder. Um, understand that your display of the blue flag doesn't require the driver to whom the flag is being displayed to do anything. And the uh, SEC, it does inf-
0: not. Correct.
1: Yeah, it's just an information flag. Uh, heads up, somebody's eating you up, you might want to know. The standard is, however, for the overtaken driver, the slower car, to point the faster car around by which on which side they should be passed on. Uh, But they're they're not required to do that in SCCA club racing. Uh, There are some pro sanctioning bodies uh, that take a sterner approach to that.
0: Correct. Correct. Um, And and it's really a skill that you will not learn the first weekend uh, as to how to properly apply the blue flag. It's harder in a practice and qualifying session because people don't go out in the order of their speed. Um, You you might not, uh, you might not, um, uh, you have to learn the, the, the approaching speeds of the cars, and that's something that over time you will get. Uh, it's not something that anyone masters on their first race weekend. Um, and the other thing that we have in the SECA, which a lot of sanctioning bodies don't have, um, some IMSA does, but we have mixed class racing. So you're going to have cars that are slow like a B-spec Honda Fit in the same class with uh, much faster cars like um, um, I don't know a, a production you know a, a production car like a, 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 you know a Spitfire or something like that with a lot more speed and technology and, and, and preparation into it. And knowing how to flag that is is something you'll also have to learn. Uh, it's easier during the race though, right? because they start in the right order and you don't blue flag people who are racing for position, right?
1: That is an excellent point during a race. If you've seen me blue flag, I don't even pick it up. I leave it on the ground or leaning against the corner post for the first two laps, and I don't pick the thing up until the uh, back markers start to get lapped uh, by the leaders. Right. A couple of other quick things about blue flagging. First of all, you're gonna get one wrong. You're gonna blue flag somebody that shouldn't have been blue flagged. It's inevitable. Don't torture yourself over it, just remember what you did and why, and learn from that. You're going to fail to blue flag someone who should have been blue flagged. Same reaction. Yep. Don't torture yourself. Just, okay, I should have blue flagged that guy. and just, just remember it next time. A good standard for starter starting blue flaggers is find the slowest two or three cars out there. They're usually pretty easy to pick out. Anybody who comes up behind those very slow cars is going to be faster. Blue flag those two or three slowest cars, Right. find the two or three fastest people, anybody they come up behind, they're going to be putting a lap down. Blue flag them, everybody else. Yeah. You're going to probably fail to blue flag, uh, the guy who's in P 25, who's going a lap down to the guy who's in P 15. That's all right. Yeah. You, especially in a field of spec racers or Miatas, it can be hard to pick them out of the mess.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so... And, and and the easiest classes to blue flag the first time, in my in my opinion, are the spec Miatas and the spec racer Fords, mostly because they're often such big fields that there's not mixed classes. So you you get the chance to um, uh, you get the chance to learn without having to worry about the mixed classes. And I always try to get the a, a new person to that will be their first blue flag session. Um, because you don't have to worry about, okay, which which classes are faster or or which classes are. That's always my way to do it. I'm sure there's other ways, but that's how I try to get new people on the blue flag.
1: Yeah. Three other quick things about blue flags. First of all, earlier is better if they're at your corner post. They're not looking at you anymore. They're looking down the track. The earlier you can get that blue flag up, the better, um, because once they get to the turn-in point, your corner station could explode and they wouldn't even know it. Right. Um, you can use body English to display a blue flag. It can be displayed stationary, standing, or waving. If you come up to my corner post and I'm kind of lazily holding out the blue flag, that's kind of, hey, somebody's kind of coming up on you you might want to check your mirrors. If you see me jumping up and down waving the blue flag, somebody's coming really fast and they're going to get you right now.
0: When you say waving... Are you actually waving it or are you moving it back and forth? Because I know there's some, some cont- not controversy, but argument about that. I never wave a blue flag, but I can make it move a whole lot without waving it. So are you actually waving blue flags?
1: It's an excellent point. Uh, the motion you described is rocking mm-hmm. uh, and you can throw that body English in rocking the flag. I've also done that with the yellow. Just so that they can pick me out of the right. background noise that may be uh, blocking their vision, or hey, look, and you'd see that little motion of that yellow flag, just a quick flick of it. Uh, but the rule book does permit waved flags if you're using the blue. It's not required, Got but it, okay. you can. If you watch a Formula One race, uh, they're all waved. Right, right. Uh, um, and you, you can use your own good judgment. I try to reserve waves of blue flags for scenarios where it really matters right like a formula atlantic car is coming up on a formula v in a mixed (laughs) practice group some something like that or a gt1 car is coming up on a gt light car right things like that right right uh
0: and um the last thing to 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 uh emphasize your point about waving it or putting it out early um uh early also, leave it out. Don't just like flash it real quick and then pull it down. I When I display a blue flag, it stays out until the car I'm blue flagging has passed me. And if you get it out early and leave it out long, that's the best chance to get that driver to see it that's
1: a good point i'm going to add that to my instructions from now on i'll give you credit i promise
0: oh, that's okay no credit needed i think i might have gotten that from you um <laughs> or ray but um all right so let's move on from blue the next most common flag i think you'll throw on a corner is this red and yellow striped one what's that one all about
1: that is surface condition uh
0: oil fluid
1: radiator coolant sand grass small parts and pieces uh, are on the surface
0: so the surface flag uh, it, it depending on where you are it might be called something else the the, the, the technical term the proper term or the term the, the rule book is a surface flag uh, someone might say throw, put out the oil flag or the debris flag so just same same names different flag um, and and That's typically put out for a lap or two, unless it's something, well, especially if it's something really big, because once they see it, they're going to know it's there, right?
1: Yeah, excellent point. I usually don't leave it out more than two laps. Uh, After two laps, they've already run through whatever it is, uh, and you need to take it back down so that they know they see it again, something else is there. Right. Uh, And you made a point earlier, very large pieces of debris are Usually covered by a waving yellow flag. I have done that for like the whole front clip bodywork of a spec racer, sure. for instance. Uh, something that would <laughs> cause you to massively crash if you hit it. Yeah, you cover those with a with the appropriate waving yellow flag.
0: Right. Another flag that we'll have on every station is a white flag. Now, if you're fans of NASCAR or IndyCar oval racing. Most think that that means last lap of a race, and we do do that at start finish. But on the corners, what's why are we waving a white flag?
1: White flags are for slow moving vehicles that are much (laughs) below race speed. Could be a race car, could be a wrecker, could be a fire truck or ambulance, but this the same condition applies. It's for somebody who is moving at well below race speed. Uh, You display the white flag to cover those slow moving vehicles for two stations. For instance, if you're at post five, you would put up the white flag when the slow vehicle goes by you. When the vehicle is at post seven or so, you take it back down with the understanding that sometimes they get going again and they get back um, up to speed. Uh, the other point, and this is a pet peeve of mine, and I have, I'm glad for this opportunity to, to put this on blast. If you're covering an emergency vehicle with a white flag that's moving slow, that's great. When that emergency vehicle stops moving, yep. your white flag comes down and you cover that emergency vehicle with the appropriate yellow.
0: Right. If it's on the track, it's going to get a waving yellow. If it's off the track, it'll probably get a standing unless you're working with a sanctioning body or a racetrack that requires a waving yellow for anybody boots on the ground. So very, very good advice. And I agree with you 100 percent on that pet peeve. Drives me nuts. Um, We have a black flag at our corners. Um, The only time you're going to use it at most corners is.
1: Uh, When the session has to be. Terminated for any reason. Um, you use the black flag at all posts, you'll hear a call over the net that says, Black flag all. Everybody shows a black flag. The uh, start stand and the black flag station hold out a sign that says all. That means something bad has happened and everybody needs to come into the pits at their next opportunity.
0: Right.
1: The uh, black flag and start station will use just the black flag and a number board to get miscreants to report to pit road when they've, when they've done something naughty.
0: There you go. And there's, there's uh, usually at most tracks, there's, there's two locations for that. One is at start finish, the start stand. And then usually there's a, a, what they call a black flag station. And that is the only place on the corners that would put up the number board and, uh, and and usually that they try to make sure that there's two people on that station so that um, someone can hold the number board and someone can can th- show the black flag. Um, one misconception about the black flag, and I hear this all the time, is, you know, racing under the black flag. So so the black flags tells drivers to go to the pits immediately. While there's no more racing going on under the black flag, there's nothing in the rules that says that a car has to slow down when it sees the black flag. And I hear people calling that in all the time. You know, car number 15 didn't slow down for the black flag. Well, while you would think that they should and they, there's no reason not to, they don't have to. So don't worry about calling that in unless they do something horribly dangerous, right?
1: Absolutely. And yeah, I hear it, if not every weekend, frequently. People get uh, fairly jacked up because people are overtaking under the black flag. It is not forbidden to do so. Right. Another quick point about the black flag, it may also be displayed furled uh, to notify a miscreant that while they don't have to come in for misbehaving, we're watching you. That's yep. done by taking the furled black flag and shaking it literally at a at a at a, an offending driver and displaying their number board. Right. Uh, They don't have to come in now. That's just a, hey, you're messing up and we're watching.
0: Most places will only do that at the start line, though, right? Uh, As a rule, yes,
1: that way, that that it won't be misunderstood. Right.
0: Um, And you'd be shocked at how many drivers don't know what that means and come into the pits anyway. (laughs) Uh, I digress, though. All right. So there's one more flag that should be on the corners and it's the flag that we hope we never have to use. Um, and that's the red flag, right?
1: Yep. And red means exactly what you think it means. It means stop. However, it doesn't mean they have to see the red flag and slam on their brakes and come to an immediate stop. What we want drivers to do when they see the red flag is roll off the gas roll onto the brake and come to a gradual controlled stop, pulled over to one side or the other of the pavement, still on the pavement, but not in the middle, please. So that if we need to get emergency vehicles through, we can do so. Right. Uh, sometimes it takes them a station or two to roll off the gas and get on the brake and get stopped. Sometimes they'll run through another red flag. There's no reason to freak out when that happens as long as they eventually get to a stop.
0: Right. And usually the red flag is displayed for, in my experience, two reasons. Um, the most common is because there's some sort of incident with a whole lot of, of track blockage so that a black flag wouldn't work because there's no place for cars to go to get to the pits Uh, safely without having to drive off the racetrack. And you don't want to add to an incident by having cars drive off the racetrack and maybe get stuck or whatever. So that's the most common use of the red flag. Uh, The second most common use is, and it doesn't happen with us very often because we typically race in the rain, Uh, but if the weather has gotten so bad that it's no longer safe uh, to drive or that a corner station can't see to the next corner station to be able to tell race control what's happened, will red flag a race for that situation to get the cars in. Um, But typically, even with that, it's a black flag all and not a red flag, right?
1: Uh, Correct. And when the situation that caused the red flag has been resolved sufficiently to bring people in, the recovery from a red flag is typically a switch from red to black flag all to
0: get everybody into
1: the pits because they're going to have to reset.
0: Right. And if it's been a red flag, this is another thing that's kind of, uh and they've stopped and turned off their cars they may not get their cars started when it goes black flag all. so that may become another situation you've got to deal with as a corner worker so um all right so i think we've pretty much covered the flags right i think that's all of them okay so now there's a little dance that we do i call it the dance um and and in a perfect situation you've got at least two people on a corner And and let's talk briefly about the dance, because we've got to get to communicating and response and hand signals. And we're we're going to go well over our hour here, I think. But uh, talk about the dance with me just a little bit when uh, when you're on the corner and you're not displaying anything other than a yellow or a blue flag. How does the dance work?
1: Okay, it's pretty simple. And let's go with the two people on a corner scenario. Uh, One person has the yellow flag. Uh, and the radio. One person has the blue flag. The blue flagger faces oncoming traffic. The yellow flagger faces the blue flagger and looks downstream past the station at traffic which is leaving. If the yellow flagger sees a car in your area, in other words, between where your flag is adjacent to the track and the next station, that yellow flagger turns and faces traffic displaying the appropriate yellow flag. The blue flagger does a 180 degree turn and looks downstream at the incident and tells the yellow flagger what's going on and uh, how they should display the flag until the incident is resolved or not. And till the incident is over, in which case they do a, a 180 again and go back to their starting position. So the starting position is blue flagger facing traffic Uh, a yellow flagger facing downstream.
0: And if there's only two people on the corner, the blue flagger would be the person who would respond to that scene if there was a response required. So, uh, You are
1: correct, sir. sir. The reason is uh, you want to leave the radio at the station. You don't want the radio to go to the incident. You want to leave the radio at the post so that person can describe to race control what is
0: going on. Right. So uh, real quick, funny story. You'd mentioned throwing the wrong flag earlier. And uh, when I was young in my flagging career at Road Atlanta, I was at turn 11. And uh, I was the yellow flagger for an incident. And the, the, uh, or I was a yellow flagger. And uh, remember Captain Bob? Remember him well and fondly. Hmm. So he was my flag chief. Captain Bob was a, a military man. Uh, thank him for his service and all military members. Uh, and he was very serious about the job, which is great. We got to be. And uh, so, so I was, I was the yellow flagger. There was incident down in the hole. This is before they made the the left right at turn ten, uh, when it was just a straightaway into a dip and come up. So it was an incident in the dip, and I had not responded to anything on that weekend. So we switched flags so I could go respond. So I run down, do my thing, and uh, Bob stays at the top of the hill. And, and I came back, and I had forgotten that Bob had given me the yellow flag, um, and when they got back to racing, I thought I had the blue flag in my hand, and I two cars came up under the bridge, and... Uh, and I displayed, like one was passing the other, I displayed what I thought was the blue flag, but it was the the yellow flag. Both these cars hit the brakes because they thought there was an incident coming up, slid off the track, thankfully no damage, they moved on, and I looked at Captain Bob, and Bob just shook his head at me, like, you idiot.
1: <laughs> Didn't say a word,
0: he knew I knew that I'd screwed up, um, but I just forgot which flag I was holding on to. So. Um... In which we are
1: reminded that... Uh... Not only are we all volunteers, but we are also all human beings. <laughs> and once in a while, you're going to make that mistake, particularly yeah. when you do it long enough. Usually when you're new and learning and, you know, you just take a deep breath. Uh, you kick yourself emotionally, sometimes physically, and you move on and you learn from the
0: experience. Right. All right. <laughs> the one guy you never wanted to disappoint, though, was Captain Bob because he was the best, you know. Um, uh, so so communicating. That's the other job we do. It's F and C. Actually, there's three jobs. Uh, we also respond on, on occasion, uh, less these days than we used to. But uh, communicating is the C part of F and C. Uh, let's talk about that for a little bit. So as a new person, um, am I going to get to use the radios?
1: Uh, if, if we can make that happen, if you, are, if you are willing to do so. A lot of people are a little gun shy about learning to use the comm equipment. Right. Um, understand that sometimes some circuits have landline systems, uh, fewer now than before, uh, because some uh, circuits have basically ditched theirs, like mid-Ohio. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you, you will probably be given an opportunity to at least monitor the control net so you get a notion for what's being said there and why. If you're willing and you feel like you can do so, uh, you'll be given the radio. Usually uh, a mentor will have another radio or a scanner so that they can monitor your conversations. And you'll get on the radio and the first words out of your mouth will be control. This is and you will identify your station and then you will say novice on the radio. That way, the race control communicator knows that there's a new person there and they'll be easy with you. They'll be gentle with you. They'll talk you through it. I encourage new people to at least try a session uh, on the radio. Maybe, maybe Sunday morning. Just uh, give give it a shot. Right, it's not as scary as you think.
0: Absolutely not. You know, absolutely not. So, let's say you're on the radio for the first time and you have something to report back to um, to race control. Uh, let's say a car slid off the track but went right back on the track. Tell us how that first call should go
1: well if the car slid off and continued you would first identify yourself by saying control this is will posit that you're station five you would say control this is station five and then you would include your current flag condition in the call in this case it would be no flag um some people will say control this is five green Uh, I'm, I'm okay with that. Although the standard now is to say no flag and then you will stop talking and wait for control to acknowledge. They will say, go ahead five. And then you will say car number. Let's assume it's car number 54. Uh, you will say car number five, four, not car number 54. And then you will say slid off because that's what they did. And then you will indicate the direction they slid off drivers left or drivers, right. And then you will say they continued. So the whole call is control. This is five. No flag. Go ahead. Go five. five. Yeah. And then you will say car five, four, so let off driver's right and continued.
0: So and, and I will say in different parts of the country that it can even be shortened to car five, four, red, spin and continue. They don't really care which side of the track they went off. Um, that's really important if they went off and they're still there. Um, So it depends on where you're at. Some regions want you to talk just a little bit more and give a little more information. Other regions really want to compress. And a a lot of this has to do with whether you're on a landline or whether you're on a a radio. The difference between the two seemingly obvious, but the biggest thing is on a landline, another station can talk over you if they have something more important. So if you're calling in a simple spin and continue and there's a huge wreck in another corner on a landline, that corner can go alert and turn six, alert, turn six, and everyone else stops talking. On a radio, you can't do that. Only one person can talk at a time. So if you speak a lot, if you're verbose, if you're a radio guy like me and you love to talk, um, they don't want you doing that. So some regions, especially if they have radios, really want to compress that down to as little information as you can, as, as few words as you can give to accurately describe what's happening, right?
1: One of my Atlanta region mentors back in the Pleistocene era of flagging, had a phrase, don't write a novel. <laughs> um, things can get busy if you've got a 50 or 60 car spec me out session going on and they're doing that voodoo that they often do. You want to keep your communications crisp, clear and to the point and as brief as possible.
0: I had a response once to a too long radio call that I made and race control said, thank you, Michener. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> yeah, I knew right away. Thankfully, I knew who Michener was. Uh, (laughs) So, yeah, um, you know, try to keep it short and sweet, especially if it doesn't need anything more. So um, so I I mentioned alert. So what happens if something really big happens at your corner?
1: The current standard is to use the word alert, Uh, alert, alert at five, Uh, say it twice, alert at five, alert at five. Uh, so that that will let everybody know that something really bad has happened. And if they have routine communications to make, they should oh stop for a while until we get this situation sorted out. Using the alert phrase on the net also alerts the emergency vehicle personnel that they might want to start the engines of their vehicles and zip up their coveralls uh, just in case.
0: Right. And, that, uh, and that's as important for where it's not happening as where it is happening, you know, because where it's not happening, you just kind of have to shut up and listen at that point. So keep that in mind if you hear alert and you're a new person on the radio, don't call in the spin and continue at your corner. Just let everything done. And in most places, um, the the rule of thumb is once the alert is called, there's no other calls unless you have another alert. Um at a different part of the track until the alert's been canceled right
1: yeah excellent point point. and it's a reminder to everyone that once you've got usually emergency vehicles on the scene and everything is under a moderate amount of control you can downgrade your alert so everybody else can go on with their routine traffic the reason we like to say alert um i will confess that i was trained to use the word emergency mm-hmm. and i i had occasionally still do so even though they want you to say alert uh but the importance is standard nomenclature if you have a fire if you start saying fire on the radio you'll you'll start yelling yes you will if you start yelling saying rollover on the radio you'll start shouting yes you will and it's better to use that standard nomenclature it forces you to be a little calmer when something bad has happened you need to be uh you need to be calm
0: right and the thing to remember, and it's hard to, because when when the, the, the caca is hitting the rotating oscillator, it's hard to be calm. Uh, the thing I try to remember is, especially right at the start, only say what's really important. You don't have to give the whole description of the incident. Um, you know, you can say simply, we have a car upside down. We need emergency now. That's exactly the information race control needs immediately. You don't have to talk about how it happened, what else is going on, Um, just what you need immediately right now. Collect your thoughts. And then at some point in time, race control will come back to you and ask you, "Okay, can you tell us how this all happened Um, when you've been calm and the people are on the scene and all that kind of stuff, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, They'll usually come back to you later for the long form version of, of what happened. And as you say, let's just get the critical information on the net so that race control can respond to it and get you the help uh, that you need.
0: Right. A couple of things and this this somewhat varies from region to region. There's some words you want to try to avoid saying on the net um, because they might bring a response that is not wanted. Um, We try some regions get really militant about not using calling in a red car because that might get this, uh, confused as calling for a red flag. So they'll, they'll they'll get creative and say things like crimson or chartreuse or whatever the case may be. Um, um, I, I don't know about that so much, but that's, that is a thing in some places. Um, and then using the word fire, like the car has been refired. Um, that's another word you want to try to avoid using unless there's an actual fire and you need a fire truck.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm not, I'm, I don't have a big problem with people saying a car is red yeah, on the net, too. although as you correctly point out, many race control communicators in parts of the country do. You'll hear those folks uh, saying crimson. Right. I do have a problem with people saying the F word. Yes. Um, yeah. the, uh, one of the other ones we don't like is to uh, describe a car which is coasting as a car which is rolling. Right. We try to use rolling for cars which are rolling over Uh, a car which is coasting is is just coasting and that varies from region to region some people are more nitpicky than others and you'll kind of learn as you proceed through the various parts of the country and flag with different people who's more picky about that sort of thing but the f word is universal don't use the f word on the radio unless you have an actual f
0: All right. So we could role play calls for hours. And I suggest people do that, especially new communicators. Uh, If you're on a worker break, um, sit down with your mentor and role play some calls. That's the best way to do it. We could do it for the next 30 minutes, 40 minutes, six hours if we wanted to. Um, So, And and I I don't want to take that time on the podcast. So uh, communicating is an art. Some do it remarkably well. Listen to how other people do it. That's the other thing is um, if you have a scanner and they're on radios, um, uh, bring your scanner so you can listen to other calls. That's how you're going to get better at it. And then if they're on landlines, a lot of regions, if you have a new person, they'll try to get a second set of headsets out so that you could possibly listen to the calls because that's really the best way to learn.
1: Another thing that I do, uh, I require it for an advancement of your license status, but I'm trying to get more and more new people to spend at least half a day sitting in race control and listening to the way the calls come in. It is a transformative experience. Once you've seen how they have to deal with the calls that are coming in and you see what a bad calm call does to race control, it changes your perspective and it makes you a better communicator. So I would encourage that.
0: I, I would also love to see us get to the point where we require drivers to spend a half day in race control and a half day on a corner before they can get out of their novice permit. I think that would be a great idea, and it might solve some problems down the road. So, But I digress. Um, let's talk about hand signals real quick. They kind of vary from, uh, from region to region, uh, but there are some standard ones. I don't want to go through them now, but you should know that there are hand signals uh, and and usually that's from for to be able to communicate from someone who's responded to an incident back to the person with a radio what is needed so that the person with the radio or the headset can then tell race control what's needed so there's there's hand signals for a wrecker it's kind of holding your arm up like the W and Y and YMCA except there's no W and YMCA um, there's also uh, if you hold your arms out uh, straight like an aircraft carrier or like a plane that means you know a tilt bed or a flat toe um, um if, if you hold your arms up like a like an o that's an oil or a debris on the track um those are the most common ones uh there's an a kind of hold your hands up like the anymca for ambulance i think those are the most common ones uh then there's also some really cool ones for like what you want for lunch if you grab your your butt you want ham because you want ham hocks i mean I, I digress um but uh but yeah so there are some hand signals talk with your mentor about those
1: our dear friend, Mo Overstreet, uh, came up with uh, some little pictograms to describe these. Uh, I I apologize, I don't have the web address, they're out there online. Uh, I'll bet if you Google the phrase, Mo Overstreet Hand Signals, I'll bet you'll get a hit on it. Yep. It's also, it's also available through the filing cabinet on scca.com and resources.
0: And I will put uh, the links to those in the show notes. So don't pull over on the road to write down Mo Overstreet. Um, his actually website, if it's still up, was the website I was kind of hoping you would you would mention when I asked if there was a place to do homework. Uh, Mo has been doing this for long, long time. Does all of the pro races. And uh, w- one of the the best flagger teachers out there. If you ever get a chance to go to a race and learn from Mo, he is top, top notch. Um, and his website, if it's still up, is fantastic. So um, good stuff there. Good stuff there. Um, I think we've... Co- oh, response. Gosh, how can I forget that? Let's talk for a second about playing in traffic. And I say that with a kind of a a, a, a wry grin because a lot of places we don't do that much anymore. But uh, at a regional event that's just an SCCA event, you know, there are still some opportunities at at many racetracks to respond. And as a new person, that can be really, really intimidating. And if not done properly, it can be dangerous. So how do we respond?
1: Uh, Excellent point. And it's true that uh, at many racetracks and some sanctioning bodies, forbid us to leave the relative safety of the corner post. That's fine. It's, it's their party. They, they rented that dance hall and hired the band and we're gonna dance to their tune. However, if you are permitted to do so, uh, you may. I would ask our new people and even our more experienced people to not hesitate to speak up if they don't feel comfortable doing that. If you do not feel comfortable going to a damaged or disabled race car, You don't have to do it. All I ask is that you let us know in advance. Nah, man, I I ain't going to do that. That's fine. That's no problem. We'll work around that. Okay. Let's assume that you're okay with doing that. The first thing you need to do is ask yourself a question before you go to a damaged or disabled race car. Is this trip necessary? If I'm going out there, uh, will I be able to accomplish anything meaningful? Our friend Ben Tyler, the North Carolina region flag chief, uh, has a good way of putting it. If, are you going to be able to accomplish anything at that car once you get there? If the answer is no, I wouldn't bother to go. Uh, if you feel like you need to go, let's say you're, you need to get out there because you're worried that the driver might be injured, you need to go there. The next thing you need to do is make sure that your corner captain or mentor is giving you permission to go Uh, and if that is given the next thing you need to do is find a a path a safe path uh, to the damaged or disabled race car Uh, i would discourage you not forbid you but discourage you from running across the pavement but sometimes you have to once you arrive at the car where you have taken the fire bottle that's by the station (laughs) with you all the way to the car, because we've all forgot to do so, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Take the fire extinguisher with you, position the car between you and traffic, and then accomplish whatever mission you went there to do. We're determining if the driver is not injured. If the driver is not injured, you look back at your corner post and you do a little steering wheel thing and a baseball safe sign or a steering wheel thing and a thumbs up sign so that the person back at the post knows the driver is safe. Uh, then in this given scenario, you would probably get the driver out of the car and retreat from that area as fast as you can. Uh, the, the primary thing with going to a race car is that first question. Am I gonna be able to do anything useful when I get there? If the answer is no, don't go. Don't go just because it's exciting. And yeah, back in the day, I used to do that. I used to spring into action because I was younger and more athletic (laughs) and felt myself invulnerable. And I was a little bit dumb, but when I got there, I I wasn't doing anything useful. So if you can't help, don't go. But if you can and you're allowed to and you're willing to, please do so.
0: I would add two things to that. Um, Yes, if you if you never want to respond to a car, absolutely tell your flag chief that No, no one's going to tell you to go away because of that. Um, but I also think that responding to a car is a case-by-case situation, and I, I'm someone who has played in traffic a lot. I was always willing to go where I needed to go to help a driver. Um, but there have been situations where I've gotten close and realized, I can't do this safely. I'm not going. And, um, and it was rare, but there were a few moments where I said, nope, nope, not doing this one. So if that's also okay. You know your safety is the most important so don't don't hesitate to feel like you are compelled to go every situation is a little bit different and if you get to one where you say this one's not safe don't go until you're you know and find a way to communicate that um the second point i would make is it gives you just a tiny tiny bit of safety it's not a lot but if you do respond Try to keep yourself as much as possible where the car is between whatever you're responding to is between you and oncoming traffic. Because if someone else comes off, it's better for them to hit another car first than to hit you first and then the car. Um, That's not always possible, but try to keep aware of your situational awareness so that you can keep something big between you and oncoming 2,000-pound race cars.
1: Yeah. And always, always you're looking at oncoming traffic while you're out there. You're not turning your back. Even if you have to backpedal a good bit, you're always looking at oncoming traffic.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Wow, well, we've covered a lot, Don. I appreciate the opportunity.
1: We should do this again sometime.
0: We should. Well, we're going to do flagging 201. I don't know. Maybe we'll, we'll have it with you or we'll get maybe we'll get Mo on. He would be great to have to do this um, and, uh, you know, spread the love a little bit. Is there any other newbie stuff that we should put out there real quick before we wrap this one up?
1: No, just that understand that this can become a lifelong passion. It has for me. Um, understand that your level of commitment to the activity can vary with what's going on with your life situation. I've had seasons where I went to 18, 20, 25 race weekends in a year. Other years, you can't make it. Uh, you can make the events that you can make. Don't despair that you can't make it to certain events. We race all year round. Now, there'll be plenty of chances for you to come out. Um, so only commit to those things that you're comfortable committing to, and we'll be grateful to have you for whatever you can choose to do with us.
0: And I'll throw out the little, uh, the carrot at the end of the stick. If you have been to a IndyCar race, an IMSA race, an F1 race, and you've seen the people right there by the corners, um, those people in the United States are almost exclusively SCCA flaggers. Um, there's some other situ- rare instances where flaggers from other organizations. but I, I'm pretty certain that almost all of those re- all of those sanctioning bodies are using SECa flaggers exclusively for those events. So if that's something that interests you, And you want to travel all around the country and honestly, all around the world, because if you're an SCCA trained flagger and you go to want to go to Le Mans or Monaco or or Silverstone or any of those tracks and you call ahead to whoever's doing their or send an email to whoever's doing their flagging coordination and you tell them you're an SCCA flagger, especially if you have a national SCCA license flagging license. We'll talk about that, too, down the road. Um, They're going to say, come and play with us. And um, and that's because of the training and the credibility that Seca has in creating the, in, in my opinion, and I am biased 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 in my opinion the best flagging communication workers in the world come from the scca um and the other sanctioning bodies know this and if you have a hankering to go do some of that i've worked indycar races i've worked imsa races, i've not worked well i uh no i haven't done formula one yet that's on my bucket list um but um those are scca flaggers
1: Absolutely, they are. Uh, In the United States, the SCCA is the only organization that recruits, trains, and provides licensing and support to FNC personnel. Yeah, the, the folks in other countries do, but in the United States, we're the only ones who do it. In the case of Le Mans, if you live in my part of the country and you want to work Le Mans and you're an American, you have to have a letter from me saying that you're good enough to do so. Uh, the flag chief at the F1 race in Miami asked me for my opinion on a certain number of flaggers with whom he was not familiar uh, if they were good enough to work that F1 race. So, yeah, your SCCA FNC license matters. It's, it is your golden ticket to a wider world of motorsports.
0: And I've had so much fun. I have tons of fun at regional races. Don't get me wrong. Um, but uh, flagging an IndyCar race, Long Beach or, or any of them, is and i'm sure f1's the same imsa is a blast um it's a ton of fun and uh you know those are wonderful events to be a part of and you get in free as a flagger you have to pay a ticket to get in and of course you've got great seats so um You know, that's that's the that's the carrot at the end of the stick for some people to get involved with the SCCA. And um, but uh, there's also some fun with the laid back weekend of an SCCA regional as well. So, Don, thank you. Can't thank you enough. Uh, Great conversation. And I guarantee you we'll do it again.
1: Thank you for the opportunity, Brian.
0: And I look forward to doing it again very soon. That's going to do it for this week's episode of Inside the SCCA. If you like what you're hearing, subscribe to the Racing Wire Podcast Network so you won't miss an episode. It would also be great if you'd leave a comment, especially if it's a good one. If it's not, leave it on someone else's page. You can follow us on social media to find out who our next guest is. Leave a question on Twitter. It's RacingWireNet. There's a new Inside the SCCA every week. I'm Brian Belansky. Have a safe weekend. Stay safe and go play with cars. I'm Abby Shear, and this is Inside the SCCA. Inside the SCCA is a presentation of the Racing Wire Podcast Network and Rural 15 Productions. This podcast is not affiliated with, endorsed, or sponsored by the Sports Car Club of America. The views expressed within are those of the host and our guests, and not that of the SCCA.